0: good morning welcome Dave I have no idea what the over under is on me and Orlando stepping out here But Orlando had his chance right so you know I'm, I'm taking it the, the better question is who's gonna fall off of here first <laughs> I'm probably the odds on favorite for that as well but, uh, Good to be with you this morning. Glad that you are here. hope you had a really wonderful Thanksgiving week. And as Travis talked about, I hope that is just something that we do uh, this week and every week. I want to start this sermon by asking a question. I'm going to ask for a show of hands on this. How many of you recognize the quote, love means never having to say you're sorry? Just raise your hand if you recognize that quote. Love means never having to say you're sorry. All of you who have just raised your hand have dated yourself. Okay? <laughs> because if you're of a certain generation, you know exactly where that quote is from. And you know exactly who said that quote. It's from the 1970 movie, Love Story, starring uh, Ali McGraw and Ryan O'Neill. The, the story is... Uh, the, the movie was a huge hit, by the way, in the 70s. And the story is pretty formulaic in its plot. Uh, Ali McGraw is a... Um, Smart, sarcastic, co-ed, Ryan O'Neill is this young, brash jock. They meet in college, and immediately they hate each other, which means, of course, they're going to end up falling madly in love. And the first hour of the movie is a kind of a comedy about them falling in love, followed by five minutes of shared happiness, followed by 40 minutes of tragedy, as she gets sick and eventually dies. And I'm sorry if I've ruined the movie for you. But it's like 50 years old. And by the way, I am not recommending this movie. It's not a good movie. I saw it years after it came out, and I thought, well, this was such a huge hit. I thought, this is a terrible movie on just about every level. But that quote that she shares toward the end of the movie, and then he repeats, love means never having to say you're sorry. Was actually is actually number 13 on the AFI, American Film Institute's top 100 famous movie quotes of all time. Number 13, love means never having to say you're sorry, which of course is like the dumbest thing <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. Anyone who has dated more than six months, anyone who has been married more than six days knows love means you are always saying you're sorry. If you're in love, that's what you do. You say, I am always telling Martha, I'm sorry. She's always telling me, I'm sorry. I apologize for things I haven't done yet, because I know I'm going to be sorry when I do it. Oh, we always say, I'm sorry, when we're in love. And yet, people throw out these quotes, and people throw out you know, advice that sounds so intelligent. And it sounds so wise, but it's really not useful at all. You've probably heard about the lady whose husband was away on a business trip and uh, she called him in a panic one evening and said, there's a skunk in the basement and I don't know how to get him out. And the husband said, relax, here's what you do. Take a loaf of bread, make some breadcrumbs, go down the, the basement and make breadcrumbs coming up the basement steps, through the kitchen, open the back door and put the breadcrumbs right out into the backyard, the skunk will just follow the breadcrumbs right out the door. He calls back a couple hours later. Well, what's going on? She says, terrible. It's worse. I have two skunks in the basement now. (laughs) You know, uh, I am willing to bet that you have given or you have received information, advice, that sounds really good and sounds really wise, but it wasn't useful at all. And you've probably given, you've probably received uh, information, advice that even sounds very biblical, but it wasn't useful at all. I'm drifting just a little bit in my sermon series this morning. We've been talking about things that Jesus said and things that Jesus didn't say. I want to talk about a statement that is not in the Bible this morning, and most people don't attribute it to Jesus, but most people do attribute it to being biblical, And here's the statement that I want to look at this morning God will not give you more than you can handle. It's a pretty good chance that you or somebody you know, when going through a very very difficult situation, was told, Listen, remember, God will not give you more than you can handle. Which, really, when you think about it, that statement is not encouraging. It's just the opposite, isn't it? Isn't it kind of taunting? Isn't it basically saying, hey, man up. You know, come on, take care of it. God will not give you more than you can handle, so handle it already. So we're going to talk about that statement. And, and I know that you know that that's not in the Bible. Because we, we talk about that statement pretty often. And yet, even though we know it's not in the Bible, we find ourselves drifting into that mindset sometimes. Well, you know, God's not going to give me more than I can handle. And one of the reasons we sort of drift there is we know that there's a verse in the Bible somewhere that sounds a lot like that. <laughs> and we get it confused sometimes because there's a verse in there somewhere that sounds like what that says. And you know what? There is a verse in there somewhere that sounds like what that says. But it doesn't say what that says. Here's what that verse says. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That verse does not say, God won't let you uh, go through anything you can't handle. So what does that verse say? And maybe just as importantly, what does that verse not say? Well, what it is saying is not sinning is always an option. You always have the option not to sin. Because here's the deal. Just because you're following Jesus doesn't mean that Satan's not following you. You're trying to stay, keep up with Jesus. Well, Satan's trying to, uh, trying to attack you. And Paul says in this verse, not if you are tempted... What he says is when you are tempted, because you can't avoid temptation. But that verse is saying you can escape temptation. What Paul is saying here is that no Christian ever gets to say, Yeah, I sinned, but I didn't have any choice. If you're a follower of Jesus, you never get to say, Yes, I, I did sin, but that. It was my only option. Trust me. The Bible says that God will never put you in a situation where the only thing you can do is to disobey God. In fact, Paul says there, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Which sounds like that if it weren't for God, we would be tempted beyond what we could bear because we have an enemy. Jesus describes our enemy, describes Satan as a thief and a liar and a murderer. And he will come after you with overwhelming force, if God would allow it. Remember what God said to Satan when they were talking about Job? God said, you can go this far, but you can't go that far. You can do this, but you can't do that. Heard a story about a uh, cat who had a kitten in its mouth. And it was trying to cross a busy intersection. And every time the cat stepped onto the, off the curb, you know, horns would blow and t- tires would squeal. And kind of scurry back up on the curb. And a kind policeman happened to see him. And the policeman walked out in the middle of the intersection, held his hand up. And he stopped traffic. And the cat ran across in front of him, up the other curb, down an alleyway, completely unaware that in that moment he had the entire authority of the police department protecting him i tell you this. You have no idea how many times God has put his hand up and stopped a temptation, stopped a situation from happening to protect you. God will not let you take a temptation test that is impossible to pass. There's always a way out that doesn't involve sin. However, there is not always a way out that doesn't involve suffering. And so the same apostle who, who said that, we never, have to, we never have, have to disobey, wrote to the same church in his next letter that sometimes we may have to suffer. Look what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. I think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and completely overwhelmed, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. And so while Paul says not sinning is always an option, he also says not suffering is never an option. We were crushed and overwhelmed, and we thought that we would never live through it. Does that sound like a man who might possibly be going through more than he can handle? At no time do we have to be overcome by sin. But there are times when we will be overwhelmed by life. Some of you are in the middle of that right now. And God didn't order it. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. God didn't order it. But sometimes God does allow it. He did allow Satan to attack Job. He did allow... Paul to to be overwhelmed with with life, you know, thought we thought we were going to die my favorite writer of all time David, who wrote so many of the Psalms, about half of David's Psalms could be subtitled God, I can't take it anymore yes God will allow us to face more than we can handle alone and those more than we can handle moments those aren't elective classes that just a few people are enrolled in those are, those are uh, classes that are required. Every one of us, at some time or another in our lives, are going to be in a more than- I-can-handle moment. Suffering is a given. But here's what you didn't expect. It can also be a gift, especially when it seems that things are overwhelming. I want you to look at the very next verse uh, in Second Corinthians chapter one, verse nine. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we learned not to rely on ourselves, but on God, who can raise the dead. And I put the message up there, the, the paraphrase of that same passage, uh, because I think it's really powerful. We felt like we'd been sent to death row, that it was all over for us. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get us out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea, since He's the God who raises the dead. So why does God allow us to go through more than we can handle? Well, one reason is so that we'll rely on Him, so that we'll trust Him. We go through things that are too much so that we can learn to rely on God. But I'll tell you something that you all know We live in a culture that sort of tells us, hey, figure it out on your own. In fact, we admire people who say, I can do this. I got it. We admire people who say, I can handle it. I can take care of it. But let me tell you something about me. And it's true about me, and it's true about you as well. I was created. You were created to need God. And I am never in a more desperate condition than when I forget how desperately I need God. And that's why in this strange way, sometimes too much is just right. Because you can't live on a mountaintop all the time. Now I'm very grateful and I'm very thankful for all of the mountaintop experiences that I have been able to enjoy in my lifetime. But life will not allow you to stay on the mountaintop all the time. I've been quoting Paul here in this sermon. Paul got to go to the top of the mountain. 1 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes, I was caught up into the third heaven and I saw things and I experienced things that I can't even begin to tell you but I couldn't stay there. And so he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, to keep me from becoming conceited. Your your translation might say proud or puffed up. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, because of what I saw, because of what I experienced, to keep me from becoming conceited. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Paul says, I was given a thorn in my flesh. We talk about that a lot. We don't know exactly what it was, but it was something that bothered Paul that he says tormented him. He called it a messenger of Satan. And it was there to keep him from becoming proud. Verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I want you to notice what's going on. We talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh all the time. We don't always talk about it in context. God used an attack from Satan on his servant, on Paul, to protect his servant, to protect Paul, from giving in to the very sin that Satan fell to. You know, Satan's sin was pride, remember? So God used Satan to keep Paul from falling into the sin of pride. I don't know if you ever thought about it that way, but it's, it's amazing. You want to talk about the sovereignty of God? And Paul experienced it in the depth of the valley. He experienced a depth of grace that he never would have known had it not been for those valley moments. Listen, you will never know how all sufficient the grace of God is until every prop every crutch every i can do it myself is knocked out from under you and all you have left is god it's in our weaknesses that we experience the grace of god it's in our weaknesses that we experience the power of god remember the bible says that he gives grace to the humble it's in the bible several times by the way so anything that that humbles me is helpful to me when you pray God I can't take this anymore you're actually in a pretty good place because God doesn't give grace instead of weakness need to understand this God doesn't give his grace instead of weaknesses he gives us grace in the midst of our weaknesses and quite often his grace to His people will come through His people. Look at the next verse in Second Corinthians chapter 1. We are confident that He will continue to deliver us. He will rescue us because you are helping by praying for us. So why does God allow us to go through times that are more than we can handle? One reason is to rely on Him. Another reason is so we can comfort someone else and so we can encourage someone else. You're familiar with the saying, hurt people hurt people? And it's true. But it's also true that sometimes hurt people heal people. Now, we've talked about this at length, the fact that following Jesus is a team sport that's why we focus so much on this 242 idea of, of being in each other's lives. Because Satan knows if he can't make you disobedient, the next best thing he can do is make you disconnect. And you can't do the Jesus thing by yourself. You just can't. God often gifts grace when I am in a more than I can handle season by connecting me to someone who is either in that season, who has lived through that season, who has been overwhelmed with the same things that I feel overwhelmed by. In the same letter, 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. You know, maybe instead of asking God to remove our thorn, maybe we ought to be asking God to redeem our thorn. Maybe it's a thorn experience that we can use to comfort and to encourage someone else who's going through those same things. I want to show you a picture. You'll, you'll recognize this young lady. I think most of you will. You might not know her name. Her name is Bethany Hamilton. She was a uh, professional surfer, um, She lost her left arm to a shark attack. And she wrote a book about it. A book called Soul Surfer. A true story of faith, family, and a fight to get back on the board. It made a movie out of her life. Bethany Hamilton is a strong, strong believer in God. And she said, it talks about in her book and talks about in interviews, how God has used that accident, that tragedy to allow her to reach so many more people than she ever could have before. In fact, her quote was, I have embraced more people with one arm than I ever could have embraced with two arms. Her scars have become her story. What you have been through might very well have prepared you for what God is calling you to do. I want to end this sermon by doing something that I have never done before. And I have thought long and hard about doing it today. And I don't know that there's anywhere else that I would attempt to do this other than here at Bay Area. And the reason I say that is because I trust you. And we trust each other. And the reason I I think we trust each other is we all are real, and we all are vulnerable, and we're honest with each other. And so I'm going to give you some, more than I can handle, examples. And if you are in or have been in one of those times of life, one of those seasons of life, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And listen, I'm not doing it to embarrass anyone, not to put anyone on the spot. You don't have to do this, obviously. I just want to remind us all how hard life is for everybody. And you don't have to worry about the live stream picking it up, the cameras are adjusted, that just gets the speaker, no one will see, you know, who stands up. Again, it's not meant to be, you know, embarrassing in any way. But I think it might be a good way to remind ourselves how desperately we all need God. So if you have lost a family member in the last few years, if you've lost someone you love, would you please stand up? Wow. Thank you. Have a seat. If you or someone in your family has gone through the pain of a divorce, would you please stand up? Thank you. I appreciate your honesty. If you or someone in your family, someone that you love, has struggled with with a real financial issue, just a real financial need, now or in the past few years, would you please stand up? I appreciate that. Thank you. Just two more to go. If you are in the season, or just come out of the season, where you have gone through that wonderful, yet very difficult season of being a caregiver to a parent, maybe a child, a loved one, would you stand up? I appreciate you. Last one. If you have a child or a grandchild or some young person that you love dearly and you know that they are in a dark place spiritually, would you stand up? Thank you. Here's the reality. There are weaknesses all over this room. And if I was out there with you, I would have stood up four times during that exercise. We all have been overwhelmed by life. We all have scars. So what are we going to do? Because no one can take away your scars. But also no one can keep us from sharing our stories because our scars have become our story. And one day we know that that all this suffering is going to be removed. Someday this suffering is going to be removed. The question is, in this day, can it be redeemed? Because when life gets more than we can handle, we learn that the grace of God is more than we can imagine. That's what the Bible does say. And someone that you know needs to know that you've learned that truth. You need to share your scars. You need to share your stories. Because our scars and our stories are a tremendous, powerful witness. You know, whenever we think about giving God everything... We usually think about our talents and our abilities and our treasure, and that's certainly true. But when we think of giving God everything, we also need to think about giving God our weaknesses as well. Because again, those weaknesses are a powerful witness. And listen, God is not asking you to pretend like this season of life that you are in right now is fun. He's not asking you to enjoy this season of life. He's just asking you, don't waste it. You can use this season. You can use this time of your life when life is overwhelming to deepen your dependence on God and to help someone else who's finding their life overwhelming as well. We can turn our scars into our stories. So, as a church family... We're going to do what we always do when we finish a sermon. We're going to offer you a gift. It's the gift of prayer. And, and maybe through prayer, the problem doesn't go away. And maybe through prayer, the pain doesn't go away. But I will guarantee you that through prayer, you will have an infusion of grace that won't go away either. So as a church family, if we can help you in any way, we invite you to meet us here in the front. Let's go ahead and be standing.